Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Jenny. And I'm Allie. And we are recording in the same room today. <laughs> Yay! This is like the third time we've ever done that. I think so, yeah. <laughs> third or fourth? It's We did it once here, we did it once at my parents' house. We did it once we at once your apartment. Yeah. yeah. So three or four. Yeah, this is like number four, probably. Yeah. It's awkward to look at you. It is. Is it really always weird. awkward? I have to look this way. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be rude, but I know. It's I'm like we are having a conversation, but I need to look at my notes I and know. I have like I also no, it's okay to admit you don't want to make eye contact. Okay, we're not making eye contact anymore. It's oddly because I feel like I have to be performing to talk to yeah, you. Yeah. I was like, oh, we're both sitting. Yeah. See, <laughs> so you're making eye contact. Stop it. Okay, I have to put blinders on. We should also caveat this whole recording by the fact that (laughs) turn the mirror around we just got back from brunch so we have had some some we're we're there tequila drinks yeah i had vodka you had tequila i'm drinking bubbly water now so it's fine yeah no we're good we're just yeah i mean i feel like it'll make the podcast better yeah we did this for you Um, okay, well, I am excited to talk about Storyteller, for sure. I'm interested to talk about players. (laughs) Frustratingly, we actually hung out last night, and you hadn't watched Angel yet, and I had just watched it, so I was, I've been biting my tongue. I mean, not that, like, are our opinions on Angel gonna surprise anybody who's listening? No, but, I mean, I always have some specific reactions, and I was like, I just want to say this thing, and I've been holding it in for now, like, a whole day, so. I'm excited to talk about Angel also, is what I'm saying. 30 more minutes. 30 more minutes. Um, okay, well, <clears throat> should we jump into it or do We should, because I already know how you're doing, because we've been talking for 12 hours or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the rest of you, we're just both in San Francisco right now, so happy holidays. Yes. Um, okay, yeah, let's talk about Buffy, <clears throat> so Storyteller. We were both really excited for this episode. I was excited, and yeah. it did not let me down. Is no. my preface, yeah. Um, so we start out with a bit of, like, Masterpiece Theater, some kind of... I couldn't figure out if it was, like, Masterpiece Theater, Wishbone, like, something, whatever. <laughs> Andrew is sitting in an armchair, and he's telling us a story about Buffy, the Slayer of the Vampires, or... Vampires. Vampires, <laughs> yes. And it turns out that what's actually happening is Andrew has decided that for posterity, he is going to record Buffy's exploits and her victories against the vampires and her training of the new potentials and everything that's going on which unsurprisingly means Andrew mostly spends the episode in the way until he's actually really useful because what's actually happening now is that the seal that they've unearthed under the high school is leaking some sort of bad energy that's trying to get out and the high school is basically going crazy so in one morning Buffy witnesses pretty much everything from the first three episodes or first three seasons of Buffy like a girl starts to turn invisible a boy explodes which didn't didn't, actually didn't happen happen. I'm I'm assuming that was an off-screen episode Mm -hmm. um and violence is basically breaking out and the students are basically rioting because they're being influenced by the Hellmouth. A group of students actually turns into harbingers mm-hmm. or bringers, bringers, and it's a whole just bad situation. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. Willow feel, figures out from something Andrew said that the knife that he used to kill Jonathan is actually tied to the seal, and they have a language in common. So they try to figure out what the knife says and if they can use any of that to undo what's happening with the seal. And off screen, basically Willow figures out some kind of plan of a spell that they can do with the the seal. But so Buffy, Principal Wood, and Spike and Andrew all go to the high school. And 
Buffy makes Andrew tell her what happened when he killed Jonathan. Of course, he goes through multiple versions of the story, ultimately admitting that he knew this being that was talking to him wasn't Warren, but he listened to it anyway. He killed Jonathan, and he's really remorseful, and he's crying over the seal, and his tears are actually what (laughs) turn off the seal. So all of this is happening, and Andrew is intermittently filming it, and it's entirely an episode from Andrew's point of view. Mm -hmm. And we actually spend more time with his thoughts after his murder of Jonathan, kind of understanding what was happening in Mexico. They were both having visions about the first and terrified of what they were seeing and not really understanding what was going on and everything that basically led up to them returning to Sunnydale and Andrew killing Jonathan. Mm -hmm. Um... But plot-wise, like, that's pretty much all that happens. I mean, yeah, the plot, I think, yeah. for sure, is that, like, they realize they need Andrew to reseal the yeah. Hellmouth, and they do. Yeah. There's and a she couple... tri- tricks him into thinking she's going to murder him and yeah. use his blood to reseal it, but it turns out, yeah. of course, it's his tears. And there's some side um, side notes, too. Like, uh, Xander and Anya kind of re-explore, like, where their relationship is now, mm-hmm. and they kind of decide, like, that's officially done. Um, and Principal Wood is basically waffling between working with Spike and trying to stake him. So, Yeah. As Andrew says, they've got a lot of sexual tension between them that you can cut with a knife. (laughs) I mean, this episode is just so good. Like, is it just that Tom Link is that funny? I think that's a lot of it. Like, he's just really, really funny. And he has just such a specific manner about him that it's like, especially because they've used him and they've definitely used him as comedic relief for the whole time that he's been in the show, but this is the first time that they've really like put the brunt of it on him. And I think it just worked really well. Like he's just still, he's charismatic enough to take a whole episode and not be like, Oh, okay. Now this is wearing thin. Yeah. And I think also because, because they're not really going to return, you know, he's still going to be in the rest of the season, but it's like, I, I guess I'm just saying they don't ever really overdo it with Andrew, but, but having one dedicated episode to him, I think was really, really fruitful. And I think important to justify his continuing existence because a throwaway line about, oh, actually he's our hostage and Andrew joking about him being their guestage or something is like not really the way to justify his continued existence in the Summer's house. And this really does that in that he does have valuable intel that they can use because Mm -hmm. he was corrupted by the first and he does know how the seal got opened. Mm -hmm. And so he is an untapped resource that they haven't thought to ask, but also having an outsider's view also of what is going on. This episode reminded me a lot of the Zeppo. Yeah, for sure. Pretty apocalyptic things are happening at the high school and you don't quite get the full weight of them because they're told from someone else's perspective. Like we only briefly check in with Buffy and Principal Wood. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's not important to the larger story, but I think if there was a whole episode about what was happening at the high school, it wouldn't really be that interesting or that new. No. You already know... The first is building, this power of the Hellmouth is building, and like it's kind of like, okay, well, we don't need more details of how that's happening, but to see that happening from Andrew's perspective and also how he ties into it and how he can also kind of help for the moment keep it at bay and sort of redeem himself a little bit for his, his actions in starting all of this. So I have two reactions to that. Number one, I think we should circle back to, I mean, Andrew's redemption, I think is kind of its own thing to get into, mm-hmm. but I think that's the other reason why this important, this episode is really important because they have basically for two seasons now been using him as comedic relief. We already have talked a lot about in season six, how bad some of the things that they did really were. And I think they kind of get in, you know, they did get into it in season six to some degree, but it was mostly through Warren. So like now that they've decided to leave Andrew in the show, I think it's really, really important that they at least 
talk through what he's done, even if it's not like going to solve everything. I think it's really important to be addressed. But um, the other thing that I'm really thinking about now is how this episode is doing everything right that the last like six or seven episodes have really done wrong where they have, it is, you're right. If they had made this episode about how the Hellmouth was open and here's all the havoc is wreaking on the high school, it would have gotten really boring really quickly. And like, but like, I'm just, again, like yeah, in the last episodes, they've either solved that by trying to shove in six more storylines into the same episode, or they've just let it be a really boring episode. And so I think this is the first time that we're kind of getting back to like the basics of what Buffy does well, which is like come up with a creative point of view really mine it for humor and then get to the meat of the emotional storyline. So it's like, yes, the plot isn't, there isn't very much going on, but because we're finally exploring this character that we haven't really dug into very deeply and because there's a lot there to dig into, it is really interesting. And again, he's really funny. So we get to really do that. Like it's funny, funny, funny up until that last moment when you're really like, okay, it is time to stop laughing about this and really talk about what has been going on. I mean, that final scene with him is really traumatic. Yeah. But also, like, throughout the entire episode, you also see the force for good that Andrew actually is. Like, Mm -hmm. he does force, like, Anya and Xander to talk through their feelings. He does, you know, have a presence in the house that is serving some sort of purpose. Now, his fetishization of... Buffy and Willow and everybody like that. I mean, a lot of this was played for comedic, mm-hmm. like which is fine because I think it nailed it. Like we could talk a little bit later too about the visual flourishes of this episode. <laughs> but like, I just thought it was such an interesting perspective because he has been the butt of the joke mm-hmm. for the entire season or even longer. And we learn more about like how he even got to that place is like, yeah, he's the butt of a joke, but like he developed some very real skills on his way to being a supervillain, mm-hmm. which, or we can argue about whether he was actually a supervillain, but, like, he did learn to read demonic languages. Right, like, right. that is important now. Like, that's not a nothing contribution other than making funnel cakes or whatever. <laughs> um, serving them steaks, presumably cut yeah. with a demon knife. But everybody has to, to yeah. engage with this on some level, and I think there's a really important call-out in this episode, too, that kind of helps... I think it's important that it comes in an episode where we are seeing the show try to walk back Andrew's villainy in a way Mm -hmm. and, like, humanize him. And and he gets, in some ways, the same redemption treatment that Buffy and her friends have also gotten. Because as, I think as Principal Wood points out to her, like, you've all been evil at some point (laughs) in time and, you know, like, or you've done something bad and Buffy's kind of saying, like, well, I never went evil, but, like, you know... It's true that they've all done something heinous at various points in time, right. or at least most of them have, and they've been allowed redemption, so it is only fair that Andrew gets it as well. And what the other thing that I that I think is just so successful is that, like, yes, this framing device that they use of, oh, Andrew's creating his documentary, you know, his facetious documentary style movie about Buffy and what and the potentials and what they're doing. I mean, I think they also make it clear, but I think it works really well that Andrew is doing this so that he doesn't have to um, deal with the emotions of what he did. He's clearly, I I just think they make that point very well that like, yes, he's making jokes and he's pretending to be their guestage pretty much all in the service of not dealing with the fact that he murdered his friend or like not admitting what his role has been because he can't face it. But I think that they make that point well, that it's not that he's just trying to run and hide from it. It's that, I mean, it is that he's just trying to run and hide from it, but I, I guess I just mean like by the time he finally says it, it is so clear that he's been so scared to deal with this, that he hasn't been dealing with it and not that he's like so stubborn about it, that he's been ignoring it. It's like, it really is the other one. I do think that's the genius of this framing that they use of this, like 
so-called like documentary type thing that he's mm-hmm. doing because by definition a documentary filmmaker should be an objective outsider mm-hmm. and he, he says just catal- that. <laughs> yeah and he, he says that he tries to say that's who I am I'm just the objective outsider who's just cataloging the events of what happens mm-hmm. but it's a very obvious tactic for him to run away from the very tr- like real truth of the fact that he is the catalyst that kicked all of this off right. by killing Jonathan and so He's not an objective outsider. He's the cause of a lot of this. And so it's funny to like have the show use this device for him to kind of try to convince himself of like one thing. So that he can be passive instead of admitting what he's But then by the end, the show is not letting him do that. And it makes for a really effective ending, I think. And I mean, it really gets me the way that he has his like kind of catharsis and contriteness. (laughs) I guess. Contrition. <laughs> yes, thank you. Contrition <laughs> at the end when he finally starts crying and explaining why he's sorry for what he's done is like the way that like, cause Buffany, Buff, Buffany, Buffy is threatening him. Um, and he's like, I'm so sorry because I feel so scared right now. And this is how Jonathan felt. And I feel like oddly, I mean, I guess it is kind of a selfish way to frame it, but something about that really, really gets me where I'm like, it's awful to think exactly about what you've done to somebody and to really put yourself in their shoes or be forced into their shoes. But and I think this is the first time we hear him refer to Jonathan as his best friend. Yeah. Because yeah. He, he was definitely in favor of Warren over Jonathan and, like, very excited to be in Warren's extra exclusive club. And I mean, and we've talked before about how he definitely seems to be in love with Warren. Oh, and for I, sure. I mean, they don't... I'm kind of... Now, in retrospect, though, I'm a little bit annoyed that they don't have him. We just come out and say it. I just... I mean, like, they're so... I, I guess like, it's so clear, but yeah. it do it does feel like, again, like, in 2003, maybe you did need to say it, but whatever. Maybe you know. did. I I don't know what, at this point, if we... If it's so obvious to us, like, having him say it would add, like, maybe just to hear him say it to the other characters and, like, clearly establish, like, it does kind of help his case, in a way, right? Is like, he was right. willing to overlook what he knew was wrong to because this specter of his, like dead crush is like asking him to do all these things but I thought it was really effective of him admitting that Jonathan was his best friend and not someone that he looked down on because it it, to me showed like his emotional growth of like recognizing that Warren wasn't the correct place to be putting his affections and that Jonathan was actually loyal to him and his friend throughout everything I mean they fought Dark Willow together and like went on the run and that scene of them in the bed in Mexico was heartbreaking, honestly, because Jonathan is just so earnest, and you realize even then that he was already plotting to mm-hmm. kill him, or Warren was trying to have him plot to kill him. I do have to say, I think it makes mostly makes sense, but what do we make of the part where he says he knew it wasn't really Warren? I guess I I do feel like they, they left a tiny hole there for, like, what exactly was his motivation at that point? And I, I think what they are trying so hard to, they're trying so hard to make him admit and accept responsibility for it, which is obviously really important. But I think that they kind of do skip over the fact that like, is it that he was still trying to be evil or is it that, that the first evil has influence on you even when you know you shouldn't be doing it? And I feel like they missed a tiny opportunity there. Yeah, I think because I didn't, I think because I didn't want to backtrack that he was accepting responsibility for it, but it did feel a little bit when he's like, eh, I knew it wasn't him. So it's like, so you just murdered your friend, but I didn't get that impression from anything he was saying. So I don't think that that's accurate, but it is. It I, is an interesting question because something we back. talked a lot about with the trio is that for the most part, apart from Warren's evolution, they fundamentally were playing at being right. supervillains, but right. they weren't inherently evil. I mean, they were certainly misogynistic right. and problematic and attitudes. Poorly socialized. And like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But they weren't really 
out to kill people. Right. And so the act of murder for for Andrew to kill Jonathan does beg that question of like, that's a really far, like Warren made that leap and seemed to have no problem, but Andrew and Jonathan always seemed uncomfortable with the escalation of mm-hmm. like where things were going. So for Warren, for Andrew to kill Jonathan is a big leap. And I do agree that I don't think that the show quite makes it clear if Andrew was recognizing that, if he's saying, oh, I was under the influence of this thing, or I knew it wasn't this thing, or I knew it wasn't Warren, but I did it anyway. And it does, it kind of begs the question of like, because everyone else who's come under the spell of the first has this pass of like, oh, I was like, Spike murdered all these people. And they're like, well, he was under control of the first. Right. And, and like, we like, literally see Principal Wood like call Buffy a whore and like, yeah, aggressively go after her. And it's like, clearly that's not you. And yeah. that's not where you, that's not even really drawing on your real personality. So no. I do, I guess maybe what they needed is just to have Buffy say that to him when they're, because they're there. Because I do think it's fair that like, if Andrew was like, I'm so sorry and I can't believe I did this, but also it wasn't really me, like, then it would be a really bad apology. But yeah. I do wish that Buffy had said like, I mean, we have all been under the influence yeah. of the first, so it's I true that his apology like, goes from being the quintessential bad apology mm-hmm. of like "I'm sorry, but" yeah. to being like "I'm sorry, I did this." Like he does get the chance to fully apologize, and I do appreciate them having him go that far. Like he's not really making excuses for what he did. Like, yeah, he's fully in, like in a way because we don't know like. Maybe he didn't really know that it wasn't Warren, or maybe on some level he knew, but he wasn't willing to engage with that fact, but exactly. he did that's, it anyway. That's more the like, impression that I get, yeah. is it's like, but yes. But that, that notion does not let him off the hook. Right. And that has really been true of his character, I think, and probably Jonathan for the most part, too. It's not that they, yeah, like we're saying, like, it's not that they're evil, but it's that they do re- repeatedly stop themselves from asking those questions because they know if they ask them, they have to say the answer is we're doing something that's evil and wrong. We don't want to do it. Yeah. And so he, yes, like, maybe he knew in his heart that it wasn't Warren, but he didn't sit there and ask himself, is this Warren and should I do this? Because if he did, he'd have to stop. I don't yeah. know. So, yeah, I mean, obviously he's still at, at huge fault here, but I mean, has he earned his redemption? <laughs> like, kind Kind of. Not, I mean, impossible Sorry, to say completely, but like, for them. <laughs> is, that feels like I'm ticking against him. I'm sorry. Are we using that as a, as evidence of the redemption or not? how the funnel cake came out. Yeah, I don't know what, if he cooked it with that murder knife, then no. <laughs> well, that means, that's the thing is some of the comedy of this episode, like if you, if you really peel it back, it's like, wait, he did what? Like he's just putting his I think that's my favorite reveal of the entire series is they're like, where's that knife? And he's like, oh, it's in the kitchen. You didn't have a steak knife. And then they pull it out and it's like, it's not even a knife you could cook with. You couldn't cut anything with that. I don't believe for a second that Buffy didn't have any steak And it's got writing all over it. But he has, I do think it it is a little bit believable because I think it's clear that Andrew has essentially taken on the role of cook for them. So it is kind of funny that it's like, I believe that nobody else would have noticed it was in there because none of them are cooking. (laughs) You know, like they're just pouring cereal and waiting for Andrew to serve them something. So like to that part, it made a lot of sense. But boy, oh boy, did that make me laugh. Um, Okay, obviously also just the opening scene of him sitting in his little smoking jacket and in this beautiful fireplace. I wanted fireplace. the whole episode like, to have that framing device and that, it, that it didn't. It. Yeah. Like, that it was just him talking into the camera in the bathroom was, like, <laughs> such a letdown. Like, I was like, no, no, I want him. And he's, I like, wish coughing on the pipe. <clears throat> I love it. And I also love his, I'm just catching up on an old favorite. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then he says and he, like, vampire. That's the book. Yeah. <laughs> he's so funny. No, Tom, like, let's just... Shout out, did a great job. God, he's great so good at like holding himself in just that way that yeah. it's like, yes, he's playing at it, but it's just so comedic. Yeah. Also, the little scene of them in their 
the flowers. As like, gods. Yeah, as gods. That is the originator of the, oh, we live as gods. <laughs> and he sings like, we are gods. <laughs> We're living as gods. Also the reminder that their translation of From Beneath You It Devours was, it eats you starting with your bottom. <laughs> Much I'm better too, tagline. I can't decide if this is a great like meta joke or if it's not, but like. I mean, maybe meta isn't exactly the right word, but the fact that, like, in this reveal, they both reveal that Andrew... In this episode, they reveal that Andrew knows many ancient demonic languages, but that him and Jonathan don't apparently know any Spanish, Spanish, (laughs) like, despite growing up in Southern California. I think it's a really funny joke, or it is also equally, though, like, somebody just didn't think this through. Like, we're gonna look that up tomorrow. (laughs) Spanish isn't that hard, But he can speak not even demonic languages, but proto-demonic languages. Yeah. Yeah. No, the comedy this was great, and I I want to mention too, like, so I think mentioning the beginning framing device is like I I mentioned a little bit earlier. I thought the visual flourishes in this episode were actually really amazing, especially at the beginning, well, like when he when Andrew's narrating and mm-hmm. he's in the smoking jacket and like their whole rip off of like masterpiece theater or mm-hmm. whatever that was supposed to be. I'm not sure storytelling or something, and for him to. Um, then be narrating and Buffy's fighting the vampires and the vampires were like flipping and like doing all and I was like oh it's clearly like an exaggerated version of a fight or at least right. that's how I took it because yeah. like the vampire was like a straight up gymnast in a suit like yeah. <laughs> I was like they don't usually get this like acrobatic in their fights yeah yeah well I mean and then there's like the little again throwaway visual flourishes where and he starts introducing all the characters oh, and, and the, like spike the is shirtless machine. and the wind is blowing <laughs> Buffy's hair and Anya's seductively eating grapes and it's like yeah I mean it's funny <laughs> I do I god I'm the first time that I watched this I laughed for like five minutes when he was like their you know chemistry is burning hot although as a vampire he's technically room temperature <laughs> like that I, I never have laughed as hard at it, as it at it again but the first time I watched that it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen I also love his zooming in on Willow and Kennedy kissing and he's like <laughs> you guys are gonna you really want to really see, see this and he's like look what Xander he did such a great job fixing the window smash you I can't even tell too. I know because for a second I was like oh boy and no, I, like, and I but my I, eyes but and I also was like okay this I is actually like it's great such yeah. a great riff on like the like example of like using like two lesbians to like essentially like we were talking about this with Faith like right. is this supposed to be like part of the show or is it like titillating or whatever and right. it's like they're clearly like assuming that you as viewers are like ooh two women kissing and then he's like look at the window sash. Sandra did such a great job it's seamless yeah <laughs> and I love which that. is also a great reminder that like for Andrew that's, like he would be more impressed with what Xander was doing like who cares true. about two women kissing but it's funny too because I think it is a good reminder also that like so much of what they did that was actually truly bad in the last season was really Warren's influence that it's like mm-hmm. he really isn't interested in abusing women on no. his own so it's like he literally didn't even notice that they were there and yeah. it's like a good yeah so I'm like yeah but then also that when he's watching the playback from Xander and Anya oh that God. he's like clearly <laughs> so affected by it that like he's mining like all of mimicking Anya's. everything she says mm-hmm. and it's so I heartbreaking it is yeah. I mean, and that also is, like, really underscores that he doesn't have anybody left, you know? And it's, like, clearly he's never really had any romantic relationships, or at least it seems clear to me that he hasn't had any. He's been pining after his friend who's a murderer and then came back from the dead to manipulate him. So it's, like, he's not in a great place relationship-wise, so I can also see why he would just be kind of obsessing over this, like... And then also he just seems to, you know, love the drama. (laughs) Like, oh, this is riveting. (laughs) He loves the drama. I mean, never forget that, like, he framed himself as, like, not only a documentarian, like, recording the exploits of Buffy, but, like, framing it in this way of, like, 
I'm going to dramatically tell you the tale of right, yes, you know, of, of vampires. Yes. Yeah. Okay, also hilarious that the pig is still running around in the basement. <laughs> I love that line. They're like, I hope that's not a student. And it's like, well, it's true that you should never assume that it's not. But also, like, I love that the pig is just on the run. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do wonder... I I don't I don't want to use this as a knock against the episode, but I did feel like they were a little bit cavalier about what was going on in the school. And I get it because, like, we just don't have the time to get into it. And we've seen it a million times, so it's really not that important. But I think it was weird that they had Principal Wood leave the school, and then he comes back and it's completely, un, like, uh, like under if, attack. And it was like, you should have sent Buffy off yeah. to come back to you. I don't understand why you, the principal, who's also a demon fighter, were like, it's 2 o'clock. It or is, it, was like, it was like noon when they left. It, it is like, a little bit what? weird that it's like, if things are so dire, the principal who was in charge of the whole school should Even maybe not leave the school. As an acting principal, school. he yeah. should have sent everybody and home. And the fact that it devolved <laughs> to the point where, like, by the time they go back... Yeah, I was like, like you there really... are trash fires yeah. and like riots, and it's like an apocalyptic landscape. And yeah. it's like, how many hours have you been gone? <laughs> so I was like, okay, Principal Wood, you're maybe not a great principal, which like I guess sort of like Buffy. I mean, he's not really there to do school administration, yeah. but it did seem like even as a demon fighter, like that was kind of you did that. Badly. Well, it was an interesting juxtaposition because this is an episode where Buffy is talking about the history of the show. Essentially, mm-hmm. like she's saying, oh, well, what used to happen is like people would have feelings about something and then because you're on the Hellmouth, they would manifest in a certain way, which I th- actually thought was a great way to explain mm-hmm. th- how the show was Worked. made. Yeah. Like this is a meta explanation for like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. But then she's saying, well, it didn't used to happen all at once. Right. But like these are all things that Buffy has presumably encountered before so she should know in some way like how to counteract some of these things but nobody even tries like they're like let's just go deal with the seal but there's no like actual like on the ground triage of like what's happening to the students because also yes the seal is the cause of this but as principal and guidance counselor their first instinct should be to protect the students and they clearly unless they evacuated the high school they didn't didn't look like they did no and what's and again is it's like it is they they played for laughs but a lot of the things that that happen in this seem irreversible like, like that the students, students exploded and the, the students blinding them yeah it was like some <laughs> students carved out their eyeballs some students just deep combusted and like those aren't things that they can fix now so yeah it was a little bit like you guys are being a little bit cavalier about yes well, or a little I, bit casual I think that was about a little it. bit like, funny like. The student literally exploded, and Buffy's like, he should have gotten that foot rub. And it's like, they're trying to play it for comedic relief, but yeah, a student just exploded. You're going to, like, talk to his friends who just stood there and watched that happen? Yeah. I mean, I get it. She did save the girl from turning invisible, though. That's true. Um, I also, I, I mean, we can talk about this more next week, too. What I think is really interesting about Principal Wood is that I don't like him. <laughs> or... Specifically, the moment when he and Spike are fighting side by side, I totally get and I am supportive of his hatred of Spike. Obviously, he's more than, not earned it, but like he's completely in the right to feel that way. But I do really, really resent a person who is like, takes the moment, tries to stake Spike because he's, you know, they're caught up in a kerfuffle already with other people. And you need to fight the students. And I was like, but 
it's also just more to me that like, if you've decided you're going to be part of this group, Spike is clearly part of it. You need to do your homework and figure out if this is valid or not. Don't just yeah. do it in the middle of nothing. It was a very like stake now, ask questions later kind of attitude that I, as a person just really, really makes well, me mad. Also, I don't think it make you question his alliance with Buffy is like, if you kind of, out, yeah, like, one of like, our most important allies without telling her and like, what are you going to say? Like, Oh, Spike just got staked. He just has so much has his own personal vendetta at the forefront of his mind that it's just like, yeah, I'm like really kind of questioning your judgment, I guess. I don't at all think he's wrong to want to kill Spike. And frankly, I think he's totally justified in doing so, but he needs to just like, just ask like two more questions before you just jump in and do it. Like, yeah, if he was really weighing the pros and cons and being like, I understand that Spike is a valuable ally, but he did this thing that is unforgivable to me. So I have to kill him. I think that I would really respect that. But the whole like, Oh, we're in the fight. No one will notice. I'll just stake him now. I'm like, that's so underhanded well, but and sneaky also and like not sticking honorable. him in the back is it's like very not the way yeah, to do it. You know, it. that's yeah. what it is. It's that it's not honorable. And he has this really comportment of like, I'm a very honorable, mm-hmm. trustworthy guy. And no. so I'm like, you can be one or the other, but you can't do both. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad he didn't stake Spike, obviously. So do you have any, anything more to say about Xander and Anya? Oh, not, I not feel really. like I don't. I, <laughs> I like, mean, I'm yes, fine with, I'm like fine with it, but... <laughs> Yeah. I loved Andrew's reaction to it more than I cared about the actual thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, upset about it. I don't not care about it, but it's, like, great. What else are they going to do? Yeah. Kind of. Um, Alex pointed out that there is um, obviously, like, a lot of real, well, real graffiti after they come back to the high school, but one of the things just said banned, and it was, like, a, oh, yeah. a no sign for Well, it. I was laughing <laughs> was because like... Buffy was like, everybody always goes after the cheerleaders, yeah. and the first thing they see is, like, death to the cheerleaders, yeah. and then it was like... <laughs> go marching band and like it's like clearly the band rose up and then, then somebody, somebody was, was like, like no <laughs> you could see like the whole story of like what, what happened, happened. <laughs> yeah i think that was pretty good nobody found the bodies of the cheerleaders <laughs> we don't know what happened to them some of them probably exploded too maybe one of them did that like perky dance where she like goes on fire right right yeah. right hmm but yeah should we talk about Angel? Or I you? guess we should. Yeah. Man, Storyteller was so good, though. It was really good. But, I, but again, like, this was kind of the point is, like, what I think is actually brilliant about it is they took a very slight plot and they made it interesting by adding focusing a framing device and yeah. focusing on Andrew. But at the end of the day, like, not a lot happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I just think it's a reminder of, like, yes, yeah, so they've really been... Shoehorning on the plot. They've they've really been not doing a great job lately. And then when you watch an episode like this and you're like, yes, with this new setting and these new people, you can do something that feels very old school Buffy and feels really good. But it's still fresh at the same time. Because when was the last time we got it or ever get an episode like this that is totally from another person's perspective? Yeah. So I'm annoyed because they could have been doing this. Clearly they're capable of writing better episodes than they have been. But I'm obviously just happy to have what we have. Okay. We can talk about players. Speaking of writing better episodes when you're capable of it or not. Uh, yeah. So, okay, we're moving on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Cordelia, kind of all the Angel episodes, I think, for the last several episodes have started off literally on the back of the last one. Cordelia came down the stairs and told everyone she's pregnant. People respond in a way that I think is fair and logical, but then later she's like, oh, they all reacted this way. I get it. I know she's the bad guy. Um, But yeah, I mean, so that's like a little bit of the plot line, but I would say that the A story was actually about Gunn and Gwen, who comes back this week. Um, She's like, oh, I need somebody's help. Oh, I actually just need Gunn. I don't need everybody else to help her with go like save a girl or some, you know, kind of pity story that she gives them all. 
So we spend most of the episode with Gwen and Gunn. Gwen supposedly needs to say, has been like helping some like, doing some business espionage or something like that. And this other one company that she sabotaged kidnapped the other company's daughter. So she hires Gunn to rescue this girl. So they go to this um, Japanese businessman's party and Gunn charms his way in becomes seems to be a very useful ally to Gwen and goes to rescue this girl only to find out that Gwen totally set him up and is using him as a distraction so that she can go steal some piece of intel or something. So obviously he's mad at first, but then he, you know, fights his way out of it, gets blah, blah, blah. And then he like totally just forgives Gwen and is like, it's fine. This was just a great joke, I guess. He doesn't say any of those things. I'm very editorializing. (laughs) But he does find her breaking into the safe, which is clearly what she actually came there to do. And she was clearly using him to cause a much bigger distraction so that nobody would notice. And what the thing that she steals apparently is some piece of... Tech. Tech, military tech, that somehow will help solve her problem, which is that she conducts electricity when any human touches her. So she can never touch another human. So they go back to her apartment. She strips and lets her hair down, because of course she does. And even though that she doesn't know anything about this or and it's completely in a beta, beta test, let's gun put this thing on her to hopefully solve her, you know, issue. And it seems to work. And then they bang. Apparently. <laughs> sure. Um, we can okay. talk about the arc great. of Gunn's relationship sure. with Gwen. Great, 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 great. <laughs> okay. And then meanwhile, um, Oh boy, Lauren has come back, you know, to Angel Investigations. He's really outwardly annoyed with himself that he didn't already know that Cordelia was pregnant because he's like, God, what a bad empathy demon I am. And so he and Angel come up with some plan basically to help him like refresh or rejigger his empathy plans so that he'll be more useful and can figure out what is growing inside of Cordelia because obviously it's clear to everybody that like she's gone from zero to pregnant in like a week or two or, you know, whatever, however long it's been, not been nine months. Um, They claim it's been like weeks. Since Angelus I mean, it seems like, it's, seems been like days, it's been less but okay. time, but okay, yeah. Regardless, it's been an you know a very short amount of time, and she's at least eight months pregnant. Yeah. So yes, so they Lauren needs to perform this ritual. He goes to do it. Of course, Cordelia, who is evil, doesn't want that to happen, and so she is there, sneaks behind him while he's doing his little rich magic ritual, um, and it seems like she's gonna get you know get get him and stab him in the back. But of course, Angel. Fred and Wesley show up and it's in fact revealed at the very end that they set her up to, to catch her because they knew in fact that she was the one yeah. who has been murdering Lila and doing some Unexplained, but they did know that she was the Beastmaster or the one Right, or at least doing, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Which I thought was really interesting because there is a moment in this episode where Cordelia basically does admit to being all of these things, but she, she says said it as in a like, facetious like, way. In yeah. the mind of the killer, yeah. Yeah. I do, I mean, I didn't, it didn't shock me that they did that at the end, though. I do think that there were kind of some, some seed sowing when Angel was like, the way that Angel pointedly earlier in the episode said, oh, it wasn't, um, Angelus Angelus who killed Lila, it was the beast. And I did feel like he was saying that in a way that was like, he knew it was Cordelia and he did, or he had figured that out already. And so he was clearly kind of baiting her and setting her up. So I thought that it was a bit of a twist, but I didn't think it came out of nowhere. Because also don't forget that like, and Jealous didn't interact with Cordelia as the Beastmaster, <clears throat> but he interacted with enough pieces where if yeah. Angel thought about it, he could start putting it together. Yeah. Because the only other person in the hotel when Lila was killed was Cordelia. Mm-hmm. The only other person around in other scenarios 
was Cordelia. Well, and like she joking is like, oh, so the Beastmaster just came in there and took your soul right yeah. out of the safe. And it's like, I get that she was trying to throw them off of her scent, but like, yeah, yeah. if Angel had any suspicions, I don't think it's a big leap to think that he would be like, oh shit, that's yeah. exactly what happened. She <laughs> was in the in the safe house when mm-hmm. Manny got killed. She was like, she's right. the common denominator. Right. And so, and also throw in a mystical, unexplained pregnancy, pregnancy that's yeah. like, clearly developing and that and that also here's the thing that's crazy suspicious about it Mm -hmm. when cordelia had an advanced pregnancy in season one she was like terrified she was like alarmed this is this is wrong like whatever Mm -hmm. and now she's the only one who's not alarmed right and that is suspicious too because she's like this is a good thing this is my baby like Mm -hmm. whatever and it's like even Cordelia thinking that this was a natural production of her and Connor. Right, is really and like, suspicious. And maybe it's crazy advanced because it's like, as they're, as they're theorizing in this episode, demon plus demon equals demon. Right. Like, yeah. or half demon plus half demon equals demon. Like, this is where you end up. But like, she's suspiciously calm. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a red flag. Because yeah. normal Cordelia would not at all be like, oh, I'm two weeks and eight months pregnant. Right. And like... <laughs> Yeah. All good, like, you know, she's the only one who's... And, and also, I think her the very nature of her reveal is suspicious, where she's, like, waltzing down the stairs and, like, flaunting it. Like, it's so it's weird. So it's strange. so strange. Yeah, I don't know why she thought she was going to get away with this. I have to say, though, that, like, boy, oh boy, did it bother me that the opening scene was Cordelia being, like reminding us that this plot line has been done already and then being like, no, 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 but this is different. I think she literally said this yeah. time it's different. And I was like, um, screw you writers for trying to convince me that having Cordelia have another hysterical demonic pregnancy isn't just the laziest of lazy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no, just telling me and literally making your character say this is different does not make it. So this is obviously exactly the same thing that you've already done. Yeah. And what's obviously maddening about it is that the last time I do remember that's an episode where, like, her and Wesley and Angel, like, bond by the end yes. of it. And the end of it is, like, really sweet that, like, they have they were so worried about her and they did so much work because they were so worried about her. And then at the end, they do save her. And it's just this, like, really great feeling that, like, and they're coming they're, together as a yeah. team. And it's, like, now... Now they're building off of that to have them, like, use this, like, memory of, like, oh, this happened before. But, like, now it's Cordelia is the villain and, like, all this. And it's just... It's really annoying to be, it like... Is oh, you did this before and it was great and actually a really great episode and now it's just like flaunting the fact that this is garbage. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one thing I will say that I appreciate in this episode though is that the show is finally starting to get to, it seems, like the end of the rope with like patience. Yeah, I agree. Which is a corner that they've written themselves into but also like we have the characters now starting to question like what is going on. Like even Connor being like... Why did you try to tell me to kill him? And, like, Cordelia is trying to say, like, oh, I would have done anything to save our baby. But, like, Connor is not... Like, her lies are getting less and less convincing. Connor is naive. Connor is easily manipulated. manipulated, And, like, all of that makes him an easy target. But Connor is also not stupid. Right. So, like, he is starting to question her motivations and, like, some of the actions that she's taken or making him take. And he's, like, putting two and two together. Mm -hmm. Angel's putting two and two together. We don't really see the moment where they come to the actual realization and decide to spring the trap. Right. Um, but everybody is clearly realizing something. Like, they're all having to get over their initial, like, disgust at right. what has happened. But also, the thing about this episode is, like, that's all, like, sidelined. It is. I mean, that's the B-plot, yeah. 
Just one, yeah, just one other thing because we're talking about it. I will say, though, that I was, I was really relieved at the end of this episode. I think kind of for what you're saying that I was like, oh, my God, if she gets another advantage over Lauren, first of all, yeah. let's stop torturing Lauren. He really doesn't deserve it. But really, it was just like, I'm so sick of this. And so to have them finally reveal that, like, they were in on it was actually quite a big bit of a relief to me yeah. that I was like, thank God. Like, you guys finally figured out what's going yeah. on. It has been exceedingly obvious mostly because I think Charisma Carpenter is really phoning in her acting because they're writing stupid and bad lines for her so like fine so well, the, even I'm the show glad tried that, to like, call that out exactly where Angel this. was like oh it was some cartoony like villain who yeah. was, like whatever and it's like yeah so and, I'm, like, and, I'm, and I'm I'm listening to that going okay yes it was but is this the show trying to like cover up for the fact that they wrote ridiculous lines and like then they watched it air and they were like oh crap or, like, was yeah. that always the intention of, like, the villain, of Cordelia as villain was, like, cornily over the top? Right. Well, there were some other kind of meta joke or comments in the other plot line, but we can talk yeah. about that. Um, well, so I want to talk briefly about the final scene. Yes. Where they all surround her, mm. basically pointing weapons at her. And it's, in the show, mm-hmm. Cordelia has earned this moment. Like, she's obviously been the villain. Mm -hmm. They've figured it out. They're very hostile to her. Mm -hmm. But on a meta level, (laughs) this really read is really heartbreaking to me of like, you have an actress who is being badly served by a storyline seemingly as punishment for daring to get pregnant. Right. And we are, we are, let's be clear, we are talking about this coming off of gossip and hearsay and we don't know the actual scenario. We don't know the reasons for all of this. It's pretty well established that like, this was that badly was handled and like yeah. that they were, they did just decide she got pregnant, they got rid of her. But that moment reads as her whole cast like yeah, turning on her in a very that, meta way. Yeah. And I, it didn't work for me because I was like in the moment like. Too mad for, for charisma. For charisma yeah, carpenter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because I was like, this should feel very cathartic to be like, finally, we're moving in the right direction with mm-hmm. this. But in that in the moment, I just felt bad for charisma carpenter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good reason. And I, and that's a bad, that's bad. Yeah. Like you should not have your actor relationships coming across that way. And, and again, that's in hindsight with knowledge. And like at the right. time when I first saw the episode, not remotely aware of any of this, but like yeah. now from a meta level, it ruins the whole thing. Yeah. Well, to shift to a slightly positive <laughs> perspective, can I say though that for once, Angel apologized to Wesley, not exactly about the things that I want him to apologize for. He did say, but I'm that sorry for your really loss. really meant a lot. I was yeah. like, finally, you guys are talking about your emotions. Yeah. And like, but it really Do you think it, it only happened because Angel wanted to let himself off the hook for the blame of killing Lila? Probably, but I was just like, God, I'm so desperate for scraps of them just manning up yeah. and apologizing to one another for the things that they've done that were clearly wrong and need to just be said so that they yeah. can move on and neither, and they just keep being stubborn and refusing to do it and I was like it takes literally two seconds to just <laughs> write the words for Angel that are like I'm sorry Wes yeah. and then he said it and I was like god I've just been desperate for you to say that this for so, so long I'm glad you brought that up because I'm gonna use it as a segue okay. to something that I found a little bit frustrating about this episode mm, in mm-hmm. the in the advancement of this side plot of Gwen and God. The main plot, really, main, yeah. Well, really, the main plot, I guess. This concept of, like, the show... We talked a little bit about this last time, of the show having written the characters into these dynamics that are incredibly frustrating, mm-hmm. incredibly unfair to a lot <clears> of the characters, and also the result of having your characters, like, never talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But something that they have done, and they constantly do, and maybe 
it seems like maybe it was intentional is like this idea that they all have certain roles that they play in the in the team and like gun being referred to as the muscle yeah but like having Gwen then try to use that to drive a wedge and being like oh they only refer to you as the muscle don't you want to be more than that and like this is a story arc for Gunn that is going to continue into, like, the next season. But oh, like, I don't remember, but okay. But it's, it's I think this is, like, the genesis of it. But it, it does feel a little bit unfair for Gwen to come in and be, like, driving this wedge where... Yeah. It's frustrating as a viewer because she isn't wrong, but it also feels really unfair to have her doing this because, like, we've never given the characters a chance to hash through this dynamic. Yeah. Because that would require them to talk to each other and interact in a way that wasn't just, like barking orders or being like mad at each other and like Gunn's entire arc this entire season and he as he says is like oh I've been in a supernatural soap opera and I know it's like, that was the real, other like, really yeah. meta commentary like, though yeah because like, you've been stuck in a stupid unnecessarily love triangle and that's yeah. been your main role for like 10 episodes well and it's so disappointing too because I, I did at the beginning of this episode when Gwen came in and she was like I need Gunn because he can do things and I was like finally for once somebody's appreciating him yeah. and letting him have a starring role and bringing him into the forefront and then as the episode continued and I was like well this isn't bad this is bad again again and it was just like it's a letdown because i think yeah i think part of what you're getting at is that like gun really deserved better treatment this yes. whole season yes. as cordelia did it's not i mean they all did i don't know <laughs> right all of them needed it but especially the two of them have really just been sidelined in yeah. this way that is like unforgivable really gun is like he said like had episodes where i feel like he said two words or two sentences and so it's like yeah to have somebody come in and be like you can help me. It's like, yeah, Gunn is really capable. And I did have a moment when I got really excited for him when they were doing the, like, he was trying to say, save slash kidnap the little girl. Mm. And he like faced off with like four or five guys. And I was like, actually, this is kind of really fun probably because like Gunn regularly fights demons yeah. and vampires. So like even well-trained human guards are going to be no match for him. Yeah. And that's exactly the way it played out. And they and let him like, have fun really, doing that. I was like, yeah. this was really fun to watch because it's like a great reminder that like Gunn is super capable and he has been doing the badass, the most badass things forever. So like, it was really cool to just see how that like worked and like the logic kind of followed. But yeah, to just like then... But like, then she was only using him as a muscle because yeah. she, he was the one that she used as her diversion, but used his as like his abilities to like sneak in, get the girl, mm-hmm. and like get out, and like and and she knew he could take out all the goons. So like mm-hmm. he's she's still using him as the muscle. I mean, it's a bit of a surprise to her that he's the one who gets them into the party. That right. he's thought through this as well as he did. And I mean, honestly, like let's just not undercut the the fact that gun shown in this episode like he did he was intelligent he like was respectful he had done his research Mm -hmm. and his homework like he knew exactly how to take care of the situation Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day she's still using him as muscle and then and then (laughs) she uses him as like her sex object and it's just weird it's weird that he forgave her right away too that it was like i i don't uh, begrudge him being like whatever this isn't worth fighting with you about you who can yeah. electrocute me so like fine take your you thing and let's get out of here you have in the past but, like, actually killed me yeah and then <laughs> they like made a joke about that and I was like I just I don't get it she's just super hot and that's basically all she has going for her because they don't write her anything more dynamic than that it's like no. I get it I mean they were trying to I think add add nuance to her by being like oh she's not just doing this job it's like really important for her as a person and I get it because like there really is obviously something that could be mine there where she's had to live her whole life never holding hands never giving hugs never doing whatever so like yeah I get it but like also you've been in one episode I care so much more about gun why are we making you the forefront of this like it really should have been a vehicle for gun to reflect on how much he's been sidelined and even if it was like 
because Gwen introduced this idea to him, I just wish it had been more about his development than it was about hers. Why like, it, it was so her... weird that he still got sidelined in yeah. the story where he her was the main character. Trying to goad him on by driving a wedge and saying they only treat you like the muscle. Instead, have Gunn say, you know what, I actually really appreciate it tonight because sometimes I feel like I'm only the exactly. muscle. Or, like, having yeah. him come to those realizations. But, like, also... This idea that they went really quickly from her having killed him to them being sort of like pseudo allies to like having sex at the end of the episode. And it's like all of that happens in a really weird arc. And like, yes, yeah. we can think like maybe Gunn's in a weird place right now. Like sure. And he, his relationship with yeah. Fred, he's like blowing off steam, like whatever. But it does read as really strange like decision making yeah. on everyone's part. And also this idea of like, so I was thinking about the character of Gwen. Because mm-hmm. she was introduced in this season. She has come back, like, three or four times. No. This is the first or second time she's been back. But this is, like, her third or fourth appearance, I think. Like, there was the first episode with her, and mm-hmm. then she came back with the Beast. So maybe this is her third. But she's a I repeat appearance, okay. yes. and we only met her this season. Yes. And so she's popping up way more than you would expect. Like, she should have been, like, a one-episode mm-hmm. person. And so I'm not sure why they're bringing her back, because you're right. Aside from being someone they like to dress in pleather. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really seem to be adding too much to the proceedings. I mean, it's clear that I think they think she's going to. Maybe they thought she was going to take Cordelia's place or something, and that was kind of how Maybe. they were positioning her. But but it is weird because she doesn't really seem to have a practical reason for being in all of these episodes, and yet she keeps reoccurring. So to have this be the character that then you're like... I just feel like what I'm trying to say is I feel like the show is spending a lot of time on someone who I don't think as a character is very well developed or fleshed out you know who she kind of now that we're talking about it is reminding me of not exactly but she's kind of like kate where it's like stop bringing this person around you keep trying to make fetch happen and it's not happening well, and yeah, it's like you just they don't know how to they write have this, they don't know yeah. how to write interesting women i guess yeah. only like charisma carpenter and fred have been no but that's pretty the good thing. i think you just said it because she should be an interesting character she, she has an interesting power she has an interesting angle of the results and consequences of that power which i think that they're trying to get to in this episode but all they make it do is they're like oh well the first thing she would want to do is, is have like sex have someone. sex with yeah. gun and it's like never mind that this is someone that she's killed in the <laughs> past so it doesn't make any sense but like yes you could have a really nuanced portrayal of this really interesting character but all they ever do with her is put her in red lipstick and pleather pants. Well, and it's, and it's like really how annoying. Kate could have been this really interesting character, except they made her make repeatedly really stupid decisions and also, for some reason, have a crush on Angel. And it yeah. was like, every woman doesn't have to be love interest for every male character on the show. That's not the only way to That's get a story out of That's kind of what it them. feels like yeah. this came to, too. Does, they were yeah, like, natural like, thing is like, of course they're going to hook up. And it's like, maybe they didn't it have just to. just really selling guns short. And for, yes, for like, you're totally right, though. That I was like, this is the episode conceived you know, theoretically, where they're like, Gunn has been getting the short shrift, so let's write him into the main character of an episode. And all they did was sideline him repeatedly and then have him be, yes, just be used in it again by some person that I don't care about. And it's like, you guys are doing worse things to Gunn than anybody on the team is doing to him. Like, why can't Gunn just have a good episode? Gunn is so... He's so special and he's so smart and he's so talented and it just is such a shame how little they do with him. So... Not I, know a, not that this, plus. <laughs> I know that this goes without saying, but like, okay, so they went back to her apartment, put that dumb device on her back. Sure, she has to, t- okay, she has to take off her top. Bear- I mean, I will begrudgingly give that one to you writers, but she took her hair down. Yeah. I was like, first of all, now Isn't it's, gonna get it's in, the way? in the way now. Like this notion, what people do with women's hair in all media is like a thing that just, it just gets under my skin so much because I'm like, that's not what you would do. And it's not like she took down her probably kind of painfully bobby pinned hairstyle to just put it in a ponytail. It's like, why did 
you take it down, it's just on your back now, and you have to push it to the side where you're going to put that dumb thing. Like, what? No also, woman would do that. <laughs> here's the whole other problem with this is, like, they literally go to a party in someone's private home to steal a military device. I know. Why, why was that Why is there? that being kept yeah, in his what? private vault? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. They just want the trappings. They don't want to have them make sense. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even that this was, like, a Japanese party was, like, a little bit, like, oh, you just use that as, like, a fun set for yourself. But also, it didn't how seem to really add anything. is that it's a Japanese party, and they're implying that the weapon comes from China or North Korea. Yeah, so yeah, I think it, it did get pretty generic. Yeah, yeah like, like, it was very generically, like, they're Asian. all Asian, yeah. like... Why is a Japanese guy holding on to military tech from China or North Korea in his home private And I mean, I guess he could be, but yeah, it it was just very because they like, it's just so thin as with everything that it's like, I think you guys did not think this through. No. Um, It was ill-conceived across the board, I think. It was. Also, because again, like they made Gunn seem so smart and like planning and revealed all these things that he could do, but that like at the end of this, him and Gwen just take this really questionable piece of tech and just stick it on her. And then they have sex when she might electrocute him. I was like, this is, I cannot believe that anybody with a functioning like head would be like, yes, this is, this makes sense. Give it a day. Try it in 24 hours. At least do something. He's like, oh, you can just bring me back from the dead. I'm like, I'm not sure that's going to work every time, buddy. (laughs) Let's just do full body contact where even yeah. the slightest touch would kill me. Yeah, yeah that was so that. risky and stupid. Yeah. Make out first. See how it goes. I don't know. I'm not trying to be a prude about it. It just made no sense. Like, yeah. you're going you're gonna to die and that makes sense? That said, like, one thing I did like about her, like, a little note that they added was, like, she was doing this, like, handoff with this guy and then she gets struck by the lightning. And then, like, they're trying to get into the party oh, and the code doesn't work, work because they're, like, and they're, like, she's, like, oh, I got struck by lightning. And she's, like... No, really. And it's like, you can see in that moment her frustration of like, no one this will believe. happened yeah. to me and it always happens to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Question for you though. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the name? <laughs> of the title? Oh, players? <laughs> oh, hmm. I mean, I, kinda, I thought it was again, like did it make generically, sense? vaguely made no sense. I no. Didn't but at it, least it, it doesn't have, sense. the only thing that this title has going for it is that they're clearly not trying to reach for some literary or mythical uh, reference that they're also getting wrong. So at least this was just like a boring title and not like you're trying to sound smart and not making it work. But Um, I was like, I don't, who are the players? I know. I don't know. Are we the players in Cordelia's (laughs) game? Is this the players in Gwen's game? It's really unclear. Um, yeah. I did also (laughs) like the scene with Lorne when they, at the end, when they cut back to Lorne and he's like doing this spell and he's got like little clink, clinky um glasses it was very like asmr i was like oh actually i really like this scene i could watch this one he just gently tapped things there was like bubbling i was like okay yeah it's a relaxing he had a cloak yes a little cloak i mean that's rustle yeah yeah some rustling i would watch that scene again he did start humming which i didn't love but only because it took me out of the moment (laughs) i was like i'm trying to relax lauren wasn't he like full-on singing he's like yeah you're right he was singing um yeah Hmm. That's what I've got. Well, everybody knows now about Cordelia. We don't yet know how they know, so I'm sure we'll find out in the next episode. I'm how sure they it was mostly in everything together, which I think is fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was partly probably why she didn't want him also being reinstalled. Reinstalled is that mm, he knows things, things now and yeah. can like, and she hasn't. The beast hasn't been erased again. So right. Yeah. 
I did like the joke of Angel trying to remember the print of the text from photographic memory and like bragging about it, but like not being able to do it. I'm assuming that's ultimately how he, like how they figured it out was that maybe they didn't show it, but like maybe mm-hmm. he finally got the text right or something. Mm-hmm. But I like how he's like, yeah, that's a thing I can do. <laughs> anyway, um, oh, I keep hitting the desk. Um, okay, so that was players and storyteller. Mm-hmm. And next time we have Lies, Lies My, my Parents Par- Told mm-hmm. Me. Okay. I think that one is good too. I think so. I'm assuming at that point Faith has to be back. Also, where is Faith? Like Willow is clearly back On in San Diego. Yeah. So didn't she drive Faith? Hmm. Are these happening out of order? Like, Maybe they yeah. are, yeah. Maybe they aired them Yeah. differently. I don't know. I guess Willow hasn't been called to L.A. yet in the world of Sunnydale, but I was expecting Faith to show up, and she didn't, mm-hmm. so. She must come in at the she end must. of the next one, yeah. Um, and then we have Inside Out, which is a Mindy Kaling Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the one where they go in Angel's brain and they see his five his emotions. <laughs> To be fair, they came up with the title first. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, now the connotations are a little bit different. Yeah. Um, okay, so you did mention, though, that you had some pop culture that you wanted to share. I do. I have to say that I finally beat Breath of the Wild, and I it happened two or three two weeks ago, I think, and I forgot to bring it up last time we were recording, but just for posterity's sake, so everybody knows I did... Somewhere around the you middle. You accomplished a goal this year. Somewhere around the middle of this year, I was like, if I need to, by the end of this year, finish reading Lord of the Rings and beat Breath of the Wild. And I was getting really nervous about the Breath of the Wild thing because for like a month I didn't have any time to play. And I was like, hopefully I can bring it home for Christmas and my family will leave me alone enough for enough time that I can like bang it out. But then I just like randomly beat it one night and I like didn't think I was going to, but it was really fun. It's um, a really unfortunate choice of phrase of bang it out after yeah, talking well, about okay. Charles, like Gun and Gwen <laughs> banging it out. <laughs> Um, anyway, but it was great. I'm like, it really left a hole in my life. I think that was part of why, like, you were kind of saying that, um, your sister and I started playing around the same time and she had already beaten it, but like, you can wander around forever and never go beat the final boss. Like, you don't ever really have to do that at all. It's not necessary. There's so many other things that you can accomplish or just like explore and like, it's so beautiful that like the sun sets in different ways. And when you're in different environments, you're just like well, that's awesome. And like, you can just, I'm like, I've like seen just postings on the internet of all the clever ways that people come up with to like best, um, some of the like little villains in fights or like clever ways that you can use all of your weapons together. And it's just like, you can just do anything. And I did a lot and I was really, it was really fun. I, I just really liked it. And now I'm so sad. I can't go back to it. I mean, well, I can you can play it again back. and then do it in a different I way. I mean, and you can go back to your old games. Once you finish the game, you can't do anything. So you have to just go back to your game before you finish, before you beat the final boss. Or start a new game. I thought about starting a new one. There's still enough things that I haven't finished because it's like, there's the main storyline that you can do. There's like a bunch of different side quests that you can do, but you have to find them in order to trigger them. And then there's also like, there's this number of shrines that you have to find, or you can find, and I'm at like 80 out of 100. 100? Jeez. And there's nine, (laughs) there's this little device in the game that's, um, you can find um, Koroks, which are like a little creature, and they give you a seed. 
And that, there's 900 of them in the oh game. God. And I've, like, seen people's posts of, like, trying to find it, and they're like, you just go insane at the end, because every time you find one, they make the, they go, yeah, ha, ha. <laughs> so it's like when you find a bunch of them in a row, you just, like, get that stuck in your head, and you, like, go to bed, and like, yeah, ha, ha, yeah, ha. <laughs> I was like, I am not wasting my time on that one. I refuse to do. If I find one, I find one. I am not looking for them. Like, the shrines are like, I do kind of want to, like, that's what I was doing yesterday a little bit on the plane. I was like, mm, maybe I'll just, like, try and find a few more shrines. I think I want to try and find all the shrines. I don't want to do every side quest, but there were some really great side quests. Like, there's this one where you build a, build a little town, and then you find, like, every... Then the guy who had you build a town is like, I'm ready to get married, and you, like, find him. <laughs> he has a wedding, and you have to find the person who's going to marry them, and it's just, like, really sweet, and then people love you in that town because you, like, built it. Oh. I know. It's, so, it's just so sweet. Anyway, so that's my big news. It was great. I'm sort of still playing it. There's also um, extra content that you can download, and I'm kind of on the fence now about if I want to go down that road or not, but probably I will, because it's going to be, I think, a long time before the next one comes out. Cool. <sighs> anyway, yeah. How about you? I don't really have any updates, except that today I learned that Janine and I are going to fight about <laughs> <laughs> the new Star Wars, apparently, because I was saying how I had just rewatched The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Which and I that, also did recently. Yes, and I week. had, mit, like, remembered liking, like, liking them both, but, like, maybe I had more fondness for The Force Awakens, and this time around I was like, no, actually, I was really, really into The Last Jedi, and I really liked it, and I was telling Jenny this today, and she goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently we're going to have some some battles if I finally get around to watching the new Star Wars. I'm so. not I refuse to battle about it though. That was my whole thing. No, it's like I get I really get it's so not important like, enough to have a fight over. And it and it, it it's not like I get why it's so important to people and it's important to me too, but it's just like my life can't revolve around this piece of media that is definitely going to fail me. So it's yeah. like I can only enjoy it if I say I only need a couple of things out of it. And as long as I get those things and it makes me laugh, then like good because it can't be more than that. No. And really thinking back to the original trilogy, it's like it's not, it's like, not that. It's you know, not it's not good. like it's not it's not that it's not that good. It's just that it's like it's not that I'm going to struggle I'm struggling to find the right word, but it's like it is it's become iconic and it's really influential and it did so many great things and it looked great and it had like and the effects are amazing. It, it really is like it let it did definitely open up a whole new world of cinema that I think didn't exist or wouldn't have existed exactly the same way mm -hmm. without it. And in that way, it's like obviously super important and I love it and I'll always love it because of that. But like, it's but not I think the it's best movie I've ever seen. No, you know, it's like it's the not, plotting and the stories are good, but they're not like groundbreaking. Well, and that also the thing that I think is really interesting is like when people talk about the flaws of say like the current trilogy and like say the pandering to mm -hmm. toys and like basically making a story for that marketing capability and all of this is like people forget that the original trilogy did that too. That's why there are Ewoks. That's why there are all these for things. Sure, yeah. Like these are all merchandising opportunities and like people like to just glorify the original and gloss over the flaws and it is not perfect. And, well, and, and the I, thing is, is mm -hmm. like Empire Strikes Back is actually a great movie within the Star Wars canon on its own does not hold up. It makes no sense as a standalone movie because you have to know everything that comes before and oh after. God. Oh my God. I have to tell you, so when we went to the, see the movie, we had, um, we had dinner at this restaurant, it's like right, right around the corner from the theater we went to, and I overheard these people at the next table, and they were clearly also doing the yeah. same thing, they were, they were like, oh, we only have half an hour before we have to leave, and we were like already finishing up, and I was like, good, good luck, <laughs> um, but I didn't hear this part, but somebody else that we were with was like, oh my god, this woman who's with them at that table was like, 
had never seen another Star Wars movie. It was going with them to see episode nine. And I was like, what are you doing with your life? Like, what are you going to get out of this? Like, yeah, I mean, like, are, are any of them good standalone movies? I mean, they're not meant to be. They're conceived with the idea. I mean, maybe not A New Hope because that one that's didn't. The that's the only one that one. I yeah. think, and which is weird because it's episode four. Well, but like, it was it only ever called that now. Yeah, yeah, it is now. But like, I feel like if, considering its place in the timeline, it's odd that that's the only truly standalone exactly. story. I'm like, none of them are It has standalone. a beginning and yeah, an like, end. But like, people talk about Empire Strikes Back as like the best one and I do think it is it, a it great... It is in the trilogy. In the, yeah. in, the, in the nine movies that exist, it's a high point but if you really take a step back and you're like, if someone came in and had never seen Star Wars and was never going to see another Star Wars movie, the movie is not a good movie because it, it, it doesn't, doesn't have end. a beginning yeah. and it doesn't have an end. <laughs> and so you're just like, what am I supposed to do with this? And it's like, people tend to like gloss over those things. And it's like, the, the point is, and I think the important thing is that they're all supposed to work in concert with each other. For like, sure, Even yeah. the, the trilogy that everybody hates is supposed to work within yeah. the world of this like galaxy. And so... Yes. To Anyways, what I'm trying to say is it's a very it. We long... walked out of that movie and we were like, I don't know what that lady thought this movie was about. I'm like, I'm sorry that somebody convinced you to do this. Like, on, I think you were just trying to be like a good sport, but yeah. like, you should have just stayed home. That's not for you. But the, the, what I'm trying to say too is like, I agree. Like, it's not the most important thing to get super worked up over. Like, we are not going to end our friendship because we have no, differing opinions no. about a Star Wars movie, but there are people out there I have who, like, few, legitimately yeah. would, and it's, like, concerning to read those Twitter posts and all of this. It and is, and it's like, also... I mean, I get I get that way, too. When we were watching Last Jedi and I kept complaining to Alex about it, I was like, I realize I'm getting kind of sanctimonious about this, but I'm not going to, like, write about it on the internet. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I don't care. If you loved it, have fun. I really wish someone would explain it to me in a way that would help me enjoy it, because, like, Maybe one I day we'll watch it together, to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love... We need to do that, like, running commentary. And to be clear, I liked a lot of the plot elements about it. I had a lot... I have a lot of issues with the dialogue choices and some of the, like conceits of it that are like to me very sloppy and out of touch yeah. and everyone seems to really love those so I'm like I don't know what I'm not getting well, it's we're really watching the same thing like, I think like, I said to you one thing I really liked about it was the tone and you were like oh I hated I hate the, the tone, tone. <laughs> yeah so and we're, I, we're, yeah. we're agreeing to disagree on that but um, I also um even at the time I know I was really annoyed because there was a lot of press about like oh people hate it oh all the fanboys are really mad about it and the things that the fanboys were mad about I was like I don't care about any of that. They're None so, of that is what's bothering they're also, me. They're like, also so incredibly negligible to the story yeah, well, that I was like, like you guys got really so mad about Luke leaving the force. I was like, I that is zero percent of my complaints about this movie. So I was trying to find like pieces that would help me. Oh, I thought either... it was they were mostly mad about that girl, like Rose. Oh, that too. Yeah, yeah that too. Yeah. Well, they're okay. I mean, I'm not. Well, gonna, they got what they want. Not gonna say any. Yeah, <laughs> I won't say anything more about that. It, she, yeah. Anyway. No, I read I read But it was like reviews, so yeah. much of the things that people hated about that movie, I was like, these are not the things I hate about. So people would react to it and be like, those guys are so wrong. These were great because X, Y, and Z. And I was like, I already thought those parts were fine. So I need you to tell me why these other parts are fine. Stop wasting your time on them and explain it to me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there were some very cool effects, though. I have to say, there was one particular fight scene that I was like, in retrospect, it was super obvious well, how why they introduced something so that they could do something cool later but they did the cool thing and I was like I mean that even, was in, so cool. even in Last I Jedi really like I just was re-watching it and the scene where Laura Dern like goes to hyperspeed through the, the cruiser is like still one of the best things I've ever seen on screen <laughs> I mean I mostly really like the scene with Kylo and Rey fighting together to take out all the Imperial Guards I'm like poor yeah. I mean, I'm basically there for the lightsaber fights and the droid jokes, and there was nonstop droid jokes and lightsaber fights in Rise of Skywalker. So I was like, "So it's your great. perfect movie." I'm great. Yeah. 
I do love Adam Driver, and I like Kylo Ren. Well, I haven't seen it yet. I will see it soonish. Um, I plan to see it before the end of the year. Okay. So we'll definitely, we could pick this thread up again next time. <laughs> I did uh, wear my hair in three Ray-Buns. Oh. You can see it, and I was really proud, proud of myself. <laughs> Look, you gotta have your fun where you can have it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At least the crowd I was with, like, appreciated it, so... Yeah. I mean, you could have gone to see cats. So there's. Oh my god! <laughs> I we sh- we that's like a separate topic. Oh my god! Okay. Also, though, when we left, we were uh, going. Sorry. Now I'm just. This is just story hour now. Um, my friend wanted to take a photo of everybody like together after we saw the movie, and as and so we like took one, but then we also had to take this really long escalator ride, and so um, the person that was in the very front did the like did like a selfie from going yeah. up the escalators, and we were like, oh great, because we had really struggled to get us all in frame yeah. the first time around, and some teen boys were going the opposite direction. We were going down an escalator, and they were coming up, and they just were like, no, <laughs> like we got like heckled by some teenagers, <laughs> we were like, oh. you're like, no what? what? <laughs> like I'm sorry we were just trying to get us all in frame anyway teenagers are mean (laughs) it's true um okay well we I think this is gonna air actually in January January yeah I think I think we said that might be true we're yeah we're skipping the 23rd obviously this is of no use to you now uh yeah, yeah this should be January 6th okay so next week maybe we can Catch back catch up, up on whether I saw Star Wars. Or cats. Oops. It depends on whether Jenny gave me the money to go see a Star Wars, but we're gonna, <laughs> I'm working on her. Someone to make that joke. <laughs> I didn't even wait. I was like, someone make the joke at me, please. Thank you. Uh, okay, so everybody go see a Star Wars, mm-hmm. and we'll be back for the new year. Uh, yeah, wait. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, there's so many things. Okay, I'm so sorry. What team are you on? Uh, definitely <laughs> Team Andrew this week. Yeah, I think it's a no contest. Yes, he's a god. That's why I didn't even bring it up. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's just like, it's team, it's team Andrew. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll, well be back. we'll be back on Opposite Coast next time. Okay. Right. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.